Howdy, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of Internal Budget. As always, Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com here with you. And if I look like a dehydrated raccoon, it's because I rent in downtown Toronto, and all of a sudden, at about midnight last night, the ceiling of my bathroom started leaking. Am I annoyed? Yes. Am I sleep-deprived? Yes. Am I going to complain about it? Also, yes. But that's pretty much the extent of it, because today we have an amazing guest on tap for the show. He is the head coach of the ECHL's Brampton Beast, which is, of course, the Ottawa Senators affiliate. He's going to talk to us today about the cancellation of his season, which is obviously tremendously unfortunate. On top of that, prospects like Joey Decord, Kevin Mandelise, they're all going to get his own analysis. Folks, it is the head coach of the Brampton Beast, Spiros Anastas. Please enjoy. Joining me today on the podcast, he is the head coach of the Ottawa Senators ECHL affiliate, the Brampton Beast. It is Mr. Spiros Anastas, sir. I understand this has been likely a challenging time for you, uh, so thank you for jumping on. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate being on. Thanks for having me. It definitely is a uh, a trying time with uh, you know what everyone's going through right now and also recent news of our league, but uh, always great to talk hockey, especially when it's related to our franchise. So excited to be on. Yeah, so walk me through what the last few weeks have been like uh, in terms of the North Division deciding to sit this coming season out. Did you have any indication that this was going to happen or was this something that kind of came out of the blue? Like, like what, what's it been like uh, in terms of a process? Yeah, I mean, I think the process pretty much started from the first day after uh, the 2019-20 season was, was cancelled because it was right away questions about what, you know, 2020, 21 would look like, uh, you know, would the date be pushed back? Would we get started on time? Would there be any challenges or restrictions? So, I mean, this has on, been ongoing since pr- pretty much March 16th. And at times it looked uh, a lot more optimistic. Other times it looked a lot more grim. Uh, in In the spring, we weren't sure what things would look like. And then obviously through the summer with the decrease in cases and things looking better and the better weather, um, things started to ramp up and we really felt like there was a high possibility of us having a full 26 team season in the ECHL. Uh, and then as we started, you know, to get deeper into the summer, into the fall, you know, started the restrictions in different regions, especially in Canada, uh, weren't loosening up as much as we hoped. And then obviously when the cases started to spike again, uh, that's kind of where we got to, you know, thinking of contingency plans. And I will give it to every team that's that's opted out so far. So six teams from our division and two other ones, so eight total. And, and I do assume that there's going to be more to come. But every team, every president, every uh, member of every staff did everything they could to make sure that they, they gave their team the best chance to play. Uh, but when we got to a point where we knew personally as an organization that the borders likely weren't going to open until the majority of people in both Canada and the United States were vaccinated, uh, when we knew that we weren't going to be allowed, you know, enough people in our building to even have one team take the ice, let alone two teams and officials and game officials and definitely not fans. Uh, it just wasn't feasible anymore for us to, to hold hope out for a season and also hold any players back from playing elsewhere. So it's been a long process, a lot of conversations, league calls, conversations between um, our president and myself and me and the players. It's been tough, uh, but ultimately it was a decision that we felt was inevitable. So we made it in a time that gave us an opportunity to get, you know, focused on next season and also gave our players an opportunity to potentially find other places to stay active this season. What goes into making a decision like this? Like, I know, you know, these are unprecedented times and, and you're probably having to, you know, take these phone calls that you never thought in your life that you would have to have to be on. So when considering not playing hockey for a season, that's a major decision, obviously. So is it, is it ticket revenue? Is it player safety? Like, was there one deciding factor that made, you know, these teams say it's just not in our best interest to play this year? 
Yeah, you know what? It was so fluid and it changed every day because, you know, the main focus on one call was player safety and the next one was travel and the next one's restrictions per region. And the next one is is just, you know, revenue with fans. And we're a league that needs the fans, needs the revenue. That's that's all that we get through. A lot of teams actually lose money uh, per year. But, you know, how much money are they willing to lose? And if they played without fans, it'd just be too much for a lot of the owners in our league. So uh, there were a lot of factors. And some days it felt like it was just one. But it, we got into a situation as a league and as teams where, where we put out one fire, another one started. And I think that's when it started to become more realistic that a season for a lot of teams was, you know, likely not to come to fruition for us this year. Uh, because it was too hard to to get all those different factors into one basket and make sure they were covered. And, uh, you know, it, we, they tried their hardest, but it just, it wasn't. So, you know, that's, you know, there was one, not one pinpointed factor that, that ultimately kind of, you know, pulled the trigger on the season. It was just all those going on at once and continuously trying to find a solution to all of them. And then, you know, once you figured one out, the next one would happen, you know, another, you know, another rollback and, on restrictions in Ontario or a curfew in Ohio. And, and you just couldn't control it because it was just so many states and provinces and then federal regulations that uh, it was out of our hands. So, you know, as firm believers, especially people who work in sports or in coaching, you know, we always talk about control, what you, what you can control. You know, we preach that to our players. Uh, you know, we preach it to each other and we just couldn't control uh, a lot of those factors. So what we could control at the end was the decision to, to you know, adjust our focus into a healthier, uh, more viable 21-22 season. And we're excited to get there. It seems like it's ages away, but uh, that was ultimately what, what made our decision happen. Are you optimistic about getting back on the ice for 2022? I am. There's a lot of great news. Obviously, you know, they're starting some trials with rapid testing uh, in Alberta. And I know they've talked lots about getting them into the airports and the borders here in Ontario. And then obviously the news about the vaccine over the last several weeks has been really exciting. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty optimistic. Like we built a really solid team. We lost some, some players to, to retirement on the ECHL level um, mainly because of COVID, but you know, we replaced them with some really good ECHL contracts that we were excited about. We knew we were going to get some good help from, Ottawa and Belleville. So we were always excited about the talent that we get down from there that we have a hand in developing. Uh, we knew we were going to get a, a, you know, a great young goaltender and Kevin Mandelis. So we were really excited about that. So we know that we had a good team going into this year and thankfully we can retain their rights uh, into the off season process for next year. And we know that, you know, the Ottawa centers are clearly a young team with a lot of prospects, a lot of draft picks, uh, so we know that we're going to see some guys down the road. So we're confident that not just in 21, 22, but seasons to follow that we're going to be pretty well stacked as a, as an organization. And it's our job to coach them and, and have that success, but definitely confident in the season. But what I will say uh, for coaches and players alike, whether they played in a shortened season this year, or we, you know, for whatever reason, we had to stay at home and, and didn't get to be on the ice. It really will test how much people want it uh, coaches and players. Uh, you know, we will see who's prepared in 21, 22, uh, because it's an extended time off and your brain can go a thousand different directions. So we'll see which players are ready to go and which coaches are prepared to uh, lead their team to success. And I'm excited to take that challenge on for 21, 22. So specifically, what's going to become of the players that were supposed to be on your roster this year. Uh, I know there are mentions of some kind of uh, free agency. Is it going to be like a one-year loan type situation? Are there going to be guys who go to other teams and guys who just sit out the year? Uh, explain if you can um, how that's going to work in terms of player movement. And uh, are you going to get those guys back in 2022? Yeah. I mean, a lot is still being discussed and figured out at the ECHL level. And that's with the presidents and governors and the management of our league. But my understanding right now is, um, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a one-year loan. Now at the ECHL level, those contracts are, are one-year contracts. And in any given season in a regular season, at the end of the year, you have to submit your season ending roster. So that includes 20 players. And out of those 20, you have about a month and a half to negotiate new contracts with those 20. Uh, so you try and sign as many as you can, or at least the guys you want to bring back. And then after that time period, I think it's, uh, you know, at the end of June and in a regular year, um, as, out of all the guys you haven't signed yet that you weren't able to reach terms with, you're allowed to qualify eight. So when you qualify those eight, then their rights remain with you for the entire year. 
anyone else that you didn't sign or qualify at that point becomes a free agent. So my understanding is in spite of us not playing, that whole process will be normal. So at the end of the ECHL season, wherever our guys that we sign go and play, they could play for one of our rivals for all we care. But at the end of the year, they will, those players will be eligible to be on our 20 man season ending roster. I'll have that time period to try and re-sign them. And at the end of that time period, then I'll be able to qualify those eight guys and keep their, their rights and so on and so on. So that's what we are, are believing right now. There is some details that they need to iron out still at the league level, but I think um, that's the direction it's going to make sure that no teams have to kind of completely hit a reset button. Cause then, you know, you're going to have half the league. Um, you know, it's kind of like an expansion team at, at that point, And that's not what the league wants. So uh, you know, we're confident we're going to see a lot of the guys we signed this offseason back on the ECHL contract level. Yeah. So it sounds like it, you're confident that you're going to have your your core that you've built around back for 2022, correct? Yeah, of course. And, you know, there's lots of factors that might happen. Some of those guys are a little bit older, uh, you know, so a couple guys might retire. Or some guys might flee back over to Europe. Um, you know, some guys may not play. So, we, you know, we might have to evaluate where they're at with their game. This year, I know a couple of our guys have already signed with other ECHL teams. So, you know, one thing I have told in, in our last team meeting that we had over Zoom, I just said, look, no one's going to be, you know, heavily judged over what happens this year. Um, it's always a privilege to play this game, but this year it's especially a privilege. There's less jobs. There's less opportunities. Uh, some teams will start and then probably have to, you know, close up operations. You see, you've seen it in Europe. You'll, you'll see it here in North America as well. Um, so, it's no one can really be judged. So what I've told our guys, is I'm going to honor their contracts for next year. If they want to come back, I'm not going to judge them on where they played. If they didn't play, some guys might end up in the SPHL or the federal league. If they're playing, uh, you know, you can't look at them and be like, ah, oh, they were an ECH or a SPHL player last year. They can't be with us. Like they, if they can get on the ice and, and play at a competitive level, uh, they'll be really fortunate this year. So, so our plan is to stick with the roster that we built because we know it's a good one. And I'm very confident that we'll have the majority of them back. At least, you know, there's always factors that will pop up, um, you know, that you can't control. You have had a hell of a first season uh, behind the bench in Brampton. Uh, you know, it, you, your campaign obviously got truncated by the COVID-19 pandemic. And now your second season has been has been wiped out entirely. How difficult is it to deal with these types of challenges? Yeah, it is like, you know, anyone who says that it's not hard and it's, you know, you don't get down yourself is, is probably not being completely honest. I think it's important to acknowledge that things are tough. It's important to acknowledge that, you know, things happen. You don't know how to react to them. Um, and it's OK. You know, I used to have a, a professor that, that used to tell me it's OK to visit, uh, you know, Pityville for, you know, a little while. Uh, but, you know, don't don't, you know, break ground and build a foundation there. That's what he used to always tell me. So you can visit, but just make sure it's a short-lived visit and get out. So, you know, there's been times that I've been really frustrated, really upset. We had a really good team. We did some great things this past year. Um, you know, we we beat the best teams in the league. We, we consider ourselves a top five team in the league in, in 1920, and we were poised for a really good run in the playoffs. And we had uh, an outstanding season statistically. Um, and we were really happy with where we were. So to get that pulled from underneath you, uh, it's really frustrating and it, it makes you sad and made the players sad. Uh, and then all the uncertainty through the offseason, building a team, but not being able to give guys clear cut answers, especially when we're a coaching staff, uh, myself and Duncan Del Mayo, that prides ourselves on, on communication and transparency. But we just couldn't we couldn't give answers to questions that the guys wanted to ask. So very frustrating. But again, to bring it back to what I, I said earlier on is, you just can control what you can control. So, you know, you, you redirect your focus to different things. There have been a lot of educational opportunities for coaches this summer. Uh, there's been lots of opportunities for guys to find things as players that they can really key in on, focus on, because they got more time to train, to skate, um, more individual time with coaches because they're the restrictions brought them down to five to 10 players on the ice. So you can always flip everything to a positive. And yes, Sometimes it's extremely annoying to be around those people that always do that, but you have to bring yourself back to that because like I said, when the time goes to drop the puck, there's going to be no excuses. Uh, we all are in the same boat. We've all faced this together. So if you're not ready to go when that time comes, um, you know, it's your fault. So that's kind of been my, my messaging to our players and my, my self mantra as well. I got to be as ready as possible. So we've educated ourselves as much as we can. 
We get on these Zoom calls with other coaches. We're with the NHL Coaches Clinic, the NHL Coaches uh, Association Mentorship Program. There's so much to fill your time with. Uh, you just got to make sure it's not, you know, sitting on the couch uh, feeling pity for what's happening. So that's been my approach to this, but it's definitely been frustrating and, and tiresome a, a, a lot of moments during this, this offseason. And further to that, what are some of the ways that you've been preparing for 2022? Is it just going to be a year for you spent in the film room? Are you going to be doing more scouting? Or is it one of those things where you kind of can't even do much preparation You have and you have to wait this thing out? Like, like what is this season without a team to coach going to look like for you? Yeah, I think there's there's different ways to look at it. So Brampton Beast wise, uh, you know, I could obviously watch a lot of film, keep tabs on our guys. I, I think for me as a coach, the biggest thing is communication relationships. That's what I've always keyed in on. Yeah, X's and O's and video and analysis are extremely important. I mean, you can't get ahead without them. But the relationships and the communication that you have with players and people in the game is what keeps you kind of in, in front of it. So you know, I'm going to have an opportunity now to communicate with a lot of people, our own players, see what they're doing, whether they're playing or not, see how they're feeling, see where their bodies are at, their mental state is at. Um, you know, there's video available if we can do some video sessions with them or anything like that. Uh, but I can also watch the guys who are playing and just watch a ton of hockey. Like the NHL will get started, so there'll be lots of hockey for me to watch. There's international hockey that I can key into and, and take some, get some new concepts from. So there's a lot I can do from a Brampton Beast standpoint to make sure that the Beasts are ready. I can, I can watch a video of Ottawa Senators prospects that I think that we might see uh, so I can get to know them and be prepared for what they might bring to us and what I can do better for them to, to make sure they're not with us for a long time, that they're up in Belleville and eventually up in Ottawa. Um, there's lots I can do on that end. Me personally, um, you know, the announcement's still pretty fresh. It's just about a week old. So, uh, you know, but I've thought of some things I can do as well. I, there's still potentially some opportunities for me to stay active. Uh, you know, I know I'll be with the Brampton Beast in 21-22. I know that the job is mine, um, but I can, you know, hopefully maybe latch on somewhere, uh, you know, whether the, if the OHL gets started, if there's an Ontario League team that, that needs an extra set of hands and eyes, maybe I can help out. Um, if the American League gets started, maybe I can talk to the, the guys in Belleville and see if there's a way I can help, whether it's a scouting, uh, you know, an analytics, or, you know, whether I can go out and help with their black aces if they have expanded rosters this year, since we're not going to be there to, for them to send guys down, maybe there's something to do. And, and these aren't conversations I've had yet, but I've, I've definitely, the wheels will start turning on how I can stay active and sharp as well. So there's, there's lots of avenues. You just got to go out and find them uh, and be as ready as possible. The ECHL, it's such a unique league uh, and it of course has its own reputation. Uh, but I think people do probably have a lot of, of misconceptions about it. And I'm sure you could speak further to that. So what are the things that you've heard about the ECHL that people think of the league that maybe they're wrong about? And maybe it's it's kind of better hockey than people give it credit for. Yeah, I mean, like growing up and playing myself, you know, anytime I heard about the ECHL, it was it was a fight league back then. So when I was coming up through AAA and junior um, even when I was in college, you know, it was a league that had a lot of fights, a lot of meatheads, a lot of just, you know, just crazy things that, you know, are unexplainable in the game. Uh, but it's come a long way. The leadership of our league, uh, commissioner, the, the director of operations, uh, Ryan Creelan, Joe Ernst, Dan Petrino, Joe Babick, like these are all guys that work extremely hard to, you know, bring a lot of credibility to the league. I think the affiliations with NHL teams has really boosted it. Uh, you know, every team in our league but one. Uh, had an affiliation this past season uh, and a lot of really good players, especially goaltenders uh, come through our league. Um, and it's, it's something that has really grown the ECHL uh, to another level. So, you know, one misconception is it, it's not a fight league anymore. Like uh, especially in the North division and in, in, in truer hockey markets, like it's some great hockey. It's fast. It's, it's high tempo, um, you know, high scoring at times, but great defensive and, and goaltending as well. Um, it's just an all around great hockey game. Um, there's some misconceptions of how, you know, players and coaches are treated. In fact, when I was a head coach at the university of Lethbridge, I read a, a Toronto star article about the Brampton beast. And, you know, I, I don't know the writer, so I don't know him personally, or, or you know, I'm not going to accuse him of anything, but he talked about this experience. He went on a road trip on the bus and how it was pretty much hell. Like it was the guys weren't treated well, they weren't eating. Um, and I think it was a really unfair article. Uh, you know, and, and being a, a, a head coach at university level, then I was like, man, I'll never coach in that league. I kind of took it as at face value, but 
obviously then I got an opportunity. I came in, I wanted to be a pro head coach and it's nothing like that at all. Like we're treated really well. We eat really well. We have a nice sleeper bus that's comfortable and, and we get our sleep in and yeah, we're busing, we're not flying. So that's not always glorious, but um, you know, we're always safe. We were always happy. And the camaraderie that takes place on that bus is like, like nothing else. So, uh, you know, it's not hell. It's, it's actually a really cool experience that I think any hockey player that gets to be part of that is very lucky. So those are some of the misconceptions, but it's, it's great hockey. Um, these guys aren't done, you know, they're always working for something and yeah, will the majority of them ever play in the NHL? No, they won't. Cause the majority of people generally don't play in the NHL. Um, but these guys will carve out some really great careers. You see some of these guys end up in Europe and they get paid a boatload and their bodies last longer uh, when they get over there and they can play until they're into their forties. So these guys are striving for something. They're not at a, at a dead end. Uh, you know, they're, they're striving for something here and that's what makes it really great hockey. You're in a unique position as a younger coach who's been able to coach all over the place. Like, like you mentioned, you coached in, in the Canadian University circuit. You've coached internationally. Uh, you won a Calder Cup with Grand Rapids. Uh, how does the development approach differ, um, I guess speaking more to the pro side, uh, in terms of from the ECHL to the AHL? Is there a difference in, in player development or is it kind of the same uniform type of thing? Uh, well, the two major differences uh, between the ECHL and AHL is obviously one resources. Uh, you know, we have, we're a staff of two coaches. Uh, you know, we don't, in our team, at least we don't have a video coach. So we don't have kind of live logging during games. Uh, you know, not a lot of analytic information that we can give in real time. Like we do our best as two guys to give it by the next day. Um, but, you know, in between periods, like we're, we're rewinding, fast forwarding, trying to, trying to find clips and pull guys in if it's, there's an adjustment that needs to be made. Uh, so resources is one major difference. Um, but it's, you know, it's our job to do our best to provide our guys everything that they need. Uh, the second thing is it's a little bit more fast changing the ECHL in terms of, you know, so many call ups um, and, you know, it's so many games and so little nights. So we'll play five games in three different cities and seven nights a lot of times. So, you know, we probably don't have as much time to key in on, on certain things in certain periods of the season uh, where we're just kind of go, 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 go. So we really rely a lot on, on video, on, uh, you know, just conversations, like I mentioned, communication and transparency and relationships you know, that kind of stuff happens on the bus, you know, that you go sit down next to a player and you talk about a certain situation because we don't have as much time and we don't have development coaches come in as often. Uh, you know, when I worked in Grand Rapids, we'd have, you know, Yuri Fisher would come down and Chris Draper would come down and Chris Chelios would come down. And there's always someone new working with different pockets of players where at our level it's just Duncan and I, and, and we got to do the best we can. And sometimes it's not even on the ice. It's in our office or on the bus or in a hotel room. Uh, so, you know, those are the resources and just time are the biggest differences because we pack in so many games and so little time in the UCHL and there's so much turnover on our roster. Um, it's crazy. And we're affected by everything. It's, it's unbelievable that we could be sitting, you know, after our game in a bar watching the Ottawa Senators versus the Montreal Canadiens playing or, uh, you know, whatever, whoever they're playing. And you see a forward that has absolutely nothing to do with the Brampton Beasts go down but you know the hair on our arm starts to stand up because we know the trickle effect's going to happen and that's great because somebody gets an opportunity so we're not we're not nervous about you know something you know someone leaving us because we want them to be held back but now we know that we got to start making decisions on how we're going to react to that domino effect so it's a it's a really unique uh level for sure because of that so we're affected by literally every single thing that happens at each level nhl ahl and in our level um, the slightest little transaction then can turn everything upside down. So those are the biggest differences, the ever-changing, fast-paced uh, nature and the, just the resources that we have to work with. One of those guys who did spend time with you down in Brampton and then eventually moved up to Belleville was Joey Decord. Uh, he spent 12 games with with Brampton, 7-5 record, goals against average of 2.85 and 9.01. You know, those are, <clears throat> those are somewhat unremarkable numbers on the surface. Uh, but he went up to Belleville and he put on a clinic. And for a lot of people's money, he was one of the better goaltenders in the, in the AHL. What contributed to him getting that call up? And why do you think he boasted better numbers in the AHL? Why do you think those like stats on the surface might be a bit deceptive? Yeah, well, the ECHL is a great 
kind of growing ground for, for goaltenders. There's a lot more breakdowns. We play with less forwards. Uh, we only dress 10 forwards. So there's a little bit more fatigue and we have a lot more of those back-to-backs and three games and three nights. And, you know, that term three games and three nights is actually false. Like we'll play our first game Friday night at 7:30 PM and our third game at 1 PM on Sunday. So if you do the math, you're actually playing three games in almost two days. Uh, you know, so it's, and then a lot of times it's in three different cities. So there's a lot, a lot more breakdowns, not, not to the pleasure of the coaches, but a lot more breakdowns. So that really stretches a goalie to react quicker, uh, you know, analyze and read the play a lot faster and be ready for anything. Uh, and, you know, a lot of shots, a lot of rubber. Um, and because I mentioned the, the crazy turnover in our league, a lot of different guys playing in front of you, uh, you know, you could have a whole different decor on one night to the next night. And you could have a guy pl- from the SPHL playing in front of you. So it really stretches a goalie and forces them to mature real quickly. Um, naturally though, that kind of a lot of times lead to, to, you know, a different set of numbers. Um, and when you look at them at face value, they don't look as great, but you know, if you're, if you're in the, you know, 2.5 to 2.8 range, uh, in anywhere over 90%, you're, you're having a pretty decent year in this league. Uh, I think the wins and losses mean a lot in this league. Cause I, you know, you, you can really steal, steal wins and, and your, your numbers, your statistics for that night might not be that great, but you're making those big saves when they count or you're winning that OT game or that shootout game. So, uh, it's a little bit different statistically for a goalie in our league. Uh, and also Joey was a, a young goalie playing his really his first pro games. We know he had one under his belt with Ottawa um, after he left ASU, but these were his first pro games as a starter that we leaned on and he got off to a little bit of a rough start, but man, like you just knew right away that he was going to figure it out. And the biggest thing that helped him was his confidence and his, his acceptance of his role with the Brampton Beast. Like he was fully accepting of being with us for the 72 game Holland playoffs. That was his goal. He came in, you know, we did everything we could to provide him everything we can. Um, we showed a lot of confidence in him. Um, we told him, look, we're going to, we're going to, you know, ride you a lot in certain parts of the season. And he was all in on that. He's like, I want to win here with the Brampton Beast. And that was the plan, uh, you know, but what gave him an opportunity, obviously, and typical, this is typical for a lot of players was an injury. Uh, you know, Nilsson got a concussion. Anderson was in and out with an injury for a period of time. Hogberg got called up and then the dominoes fall. Um, but what got him to stick there was his performance and his, his, you know, his willingness to continue learning and continue competing no matter where he was playing. So he went up and he was great. And, uh, you know, we were really thrilled for him. And then he came back for one game uh, against Reading. It was his last game against Reading and he was outstanding. It was his best game of the year. And at that point we had been told that he's going to be with us for a little while longer. And lo and behold, another injury happens. And, uh, you know, he left that night and we're like, man, we're never going to see this guy again because he had reached a level where he was ready to to play in the American league consistently. uh, And his confidence was a big piece of that, but Ottawa did a fantastic job communicating with him. Like I, as an ECHL coach, you, you get a little anxious about the conversations when a guy gets sent down from camp, right? Cause you got to think, This guy played rookie tournament. He went to Ottawa's camp. He goes to Belleville's camp. So he's heard now two or three times that, all right, we're sending you down. We're sending you down. So now I'm here as an ECHL coach and I've been a spectator at all these events. Um, You know, so I got to know him well from his game, but I'm meeting him for the first time and I'm, you know, trying to prepare myself to, you know, what am I going to say to this guy? Cause he's obviously facing a lot of disappointment, but Ottawa's done a fantastic job. You know, I sat down with Joey and I kind of had my whole spiel ready of how this is going to be great for him. And he was all in right away. He pretty much told me like, coach, you don't even have to, you don't have to give me this, you know, this, this, you know, elevator speech right now. He's like, I'm ready. Like, we're going to win. We're going to do great. I need you to be patient with me. I need you to help me. So he kind of dictated it. And I thought this was fantastic. So it, it says a lot about the kid, about the player, but it also says a lot about the Ottawa centers organization. Like they were clear and concise with him that he'd be with us. Pierre Gruel, um, you know, uh, Corey Cooper, they, they communicated that with them and, and they kind of laid the expectations out on the table. So it made our job a lot easier. And it, I think it really helped him grow a lot faster. And that's what we saw to him when he eventually got to Belleville. Yeah. Every time I talk to somebody about Joey, it's that's the confidence thing always comes up. That, that seems to be his trademark. Yeah. Uh, it can rub, it can rub some people the wrong way for sure. Yeah. That was a, you know, a little challenge for us as coaching staff to get him to, to harness that. 
uh, and use it the right way. But yeah, it uh, definitely follows him everywhere he goes. I think it's a big reason why the consensus among the fan base, they have him pegged as the goaltender of the future in Ottawa. And I think, um, and I think there are some indications from the Senators organization, not that I want to put words in anybody's mouth, that they feel somewhat the same way. Uh, would you agree with that kind of um, projection for him? Do you think he has that type of potential? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to the Ottawa Senators' plan. You know, I, I've been privy to some information on, on terms of development and what they see in the future. Um, but one thing I will say, just specific to Joey Decord, he he will be an NHL goaltender. Um, you know, whether it's with Ottawa or someone else, he will be an NHL goaltender. And uh, just his 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 work ethic, his background, his confidence, his swagger, um, like what a teammate too. Like it, it, some of the best things I saw out of him as a as a person or was when he was backing up the excitement level he brought the um he, how he got engaged in the game the things he'd say to the opposing players like it was unbelievable and, and it really sparked us early on like we in november we were we had like a nine and two month and you know he only i think he may have won only four of those games of the nine and two month but just the impact he had as a teammate in the room and on the bench um i just saw such great things in him and, I, and i'm really proud uh, to have been a small part of his uh, kind of introduction of pro hockey and to be able to see that, uh, you know, cause it, it, it just really made me a believer in him. So to answer your question, I, I can't say exactly about a Senator's Jersey. Um, we, we certainly hope so, but he will be an NHL goaltender. I, I truly believe that. Another goalie that's generated a ton of buzz this year is Kevin Mandelise, who we, who we touched on a little earlier. Uh, he was obviously on track to join you uh, in Brampton for this season. It was something that Pierre Gru spoke openly about. Um, have you had any contact with him? And, and what are your impressions of him so far? Because obviously he spent last year in Quebec. This would, like Joey, this would be his first year playing pro hockey. So, yeah, have you had any contact with, with the player? And, and do you have any kind of initial impressions of him? I haven't had any personal uh, contact or conversations with him directly. I, I was at, uh, you know, rookie tournament last year and, you know, Belleville's training camp I think he was reassigned back to uh by to the queue by the time we hit training camp so I saw him in some action some practice action and game action at a rookie tournament uh you know other than a passing hello we haven't had much conversation I've talked to to Pierre a lot about him uh we were kind of crafting a plan for him about you know games that he would see how much we lean on him different points of the season where we you know ex be expecting him to peak and him to take over a, a number one role um, you know, but in terms of personal contact, we kind of saved that, you know, it, it probably would have happened by now in any regular year, obviously, because we would have been playing, but we kind of save it because we want, we want these guys in the mentality of they're doing everything they can to, to make it, even though there's been a, a clear cut uh, plan and, you know, development plan put in front of them. We want them to come to Ottawa centers training camp, giving their best effort, you know, putting that forward and then Belleville and rookie tournament and the same thing uh, at all levels. So, I don't want to cloud him with too much of worrying about the Brampton beast until he has to, um, you know, so my, most of my com communication is through Pierre Gruel and the Belleville staff um, in terms of how we're going to handle a player like him, uh, you know, and then as we got closer, it probably would have been more of an in-person communication than like when I, when I, when I'd be at any Belleville events for training camp or anything like that, that's where I'd start to kind of break the ice with him and, and build a rapport with him. And unfortunately that, that didn't, you know, that didn't happen. Um, and, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward from there, but uh, no direct contact, but I've heard he's such a competitor. I heard he, he, he loves pressure. He loves taking teams on his back. He loves being the guy. He loves making big saves. Um, you know, he's, he's a big body goaltender that can block a lot of shots uh, without moving too, too much. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he's just excited to play hockey. That's what I've heard about him. He was really excited to, to be in Brampton, which, again, going back to that conversation, I was trying to amp myself up uh, to having with Joey. I think that that says a lot about him, but also about, you know, Pierre Gruel and, you know, Pierre Dorian and just laying out a clear cut plan and pathway for him makes my job a lot easier. So I was really excited to, to see how excitable and, and game ready he was. And unfortunately, that's been put on hold. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of everything I know about him. Yeah, I had the chance to speak with him uh, for an interview for Silver Seven Sens in the spring, and he's just a he's a phenomenal phenomenal person to talk with. Uh, he spoke a lot about how actually 
using a sports psychology approach really helped his confidence. And he found that that was something that really helped turn his game around. You know, he did have the breakout year this year or the bounce back year, I guess I should say in terms of talent. And I know it's difficult because you haven't got him on the ice for camp. There was no sense development camp or rookie camp or anything like that this year. Did you have expectations for him going into day one in Brampton? If he ended up coming down to you, like, is this a kid you're pegging as your day one starter uh, or is he, is it one of those things where it, he, you kind of have to see it first? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really delicate situation, especially with a 20 year old, right. Uh, you know, they come in, Joey was different. He was young and he went through a learning period, but he was 24 years old. Right. And uh, so it's a different body, different mindset. 20 year old is going to be a little bit, you know, even more challenging. So we had a lot of conversations with, uh, with Pierre and, and Corey Cooper at the time before he left uh, to join the Kingston Frontenacs of how we we're going to handle it. So there was no clear expectation for him to be number one right away. And, you know, a lot of things that fans may not know is there's a lot of emphasis in other things, like who else are they going to sign? Uh, you know, so, you know, the Belleville senators were really impressed with Alex Dubot. Um, he was signed to a two-way American league contract with us last year as a rookie, but he was older. He played in the CIS. So he was 25, 26 years old. Um, so although he was a rookie with Joey, he really took Joey under his, his wing. He had won championships in the QMJHL and in the CIS. So he knew how to win and he was just very eager to do whatever it took. So Dubois was really great for Joey. They lived together. They pushed each other. They challenged each other. There was one point where, where Alex had more wins than Joey and, you know, in face value was a better goaltender in performance wise numbers wins, um, just confidence wise. Uh, so I think the Belleville centers really like that. And Alex actually had an opportunity to come up and play three games with the Belleville Sens at the end of last season. He performed well. So in talking, uh, with, with management in Ottawa and in Belleville, we all had agreed that, you know, maybe Dubot was going to be a, a great option because he has QMJHL experience. He trains with a lot of guys that Kevin does as well. Uh, so this is going to be a really, you know, important role for, for, for Alex. And I talked to Alex in the offseason. I said, Hey, if this comes to fruition, you know, you're not a rookie anymore. I know you're only a second year uh, player, but this is a serious veteran responsibility. You're going to have a young 20 year old coming here. You're going to live with him. He's going to lean on you. you got to push him, but you're also going to have to know that there's going to be times he gets to start uh, that, you know, maybe you should have, you should have got the start, but we need to get this guy in games. And Alex, it, it never came to fruition. I, they never got around to signing Alex or another goaltender because obviously everything that's been going on, but that's the thought process that goes into development of a Kevin Mandelis. You can't just worry about him. You got to worry about who is his tandem mates going to be. Um, and then you talk about how much you're going to push him. So, you know, we talked about, you know, probably going 50, 50 split off the, off the bat. Uh, you know, then you start to push him and test him on some back to backs. Um, and then it's some other things like, you know, make them uncomfortable. I remember one weekend uh, we were playing three games in three nights. I believe uh, we were in Worcester, Massachusetts, and then we were in Portland, Maine, and then we were home on a Sunday um, in Brampton. So that's a lot of travel uh, and it's, it's tough. And as much as you'd love to play Joey Decord in Worcester, Massachusetts, because it's as close as he gets to his hometown, we made the decision we're going to play him in Portland and we're going to play him in Brampton because he hadn't played a back-to-back -back yet. And we knew on Sunday the Ottawa Senators staff was going to come watch him. So we had, you know, we had those conversations with them as well. Like we need to see how he performs in this situation. Uh, so it's those little decisions that go along the way, right? So it's, it's about winning for us. We want to win, but a lot of times we know that we have a secondary job of, of getting these guys prepared. Um, so yeah, we had those conversations and we talked about Kevin starting 50-50 with Alex and, you know, trying to outline when we're going to play him on some back-to-backs and road games versus home games and, and when, you know, the, the Ottawa brass is going to be in town to watch him. So there is a lot of that, but as long as there's clear-cut communication, it's never an issue. It's never an issue. And Ottawa has been great with that and we do our part to be great with that with the, with the players as well. What becomes of a player like that in a season like this, um, you know, because, you know, I think it's fair to say that Kevin Mandelise is not just another ECHL player. Um, he's a player that the senators, I think clearly have an affinity for uh, they drafted him for a reason and, and they were really happy with the season that he had this year. Um, is there, 
thoughts of maybe not sending him to play elsewhere for a year and maybe having him sit the year out or is, or is it one of those things where he's kind of free to do what he wants? Uh, yeah, I'm not privy to that information. I think that's a lot of conversation between the agent, the player family, and, and obviously the organization. Um, but if you're asking me for personal opinion, I think it's important to play uh, for a goalie like him. So he's got eligibility to go back to the queue. I don't know if that's an option on the table. I haven't heard. So don't, you know, don't don't twist it into this as a rumor or anything like that. It's just of me. Of course, of course. <laughs> as, me, as me as a hockey guy, I know he's got eligibility in the queue, and that's a league that's currently playing. Uh, so maybe it's an option. Um, maybe they carry three in Belleville when they get going. But is he going to be seeing the pucks and the shots that he would see with us? Because that's why they were sending to us anyway. Yes, there's a positive. He gets to be with the development coach every single day, but he's not seeing that game action, those breakdowns, those odd man rushes. Uh, you know, those back-to-backs like we talked about and, and playing after a 14-hour bus ride. Um, so I, I don't know, but there there are options. And there's, again, like we talked about when we were generalizing everything early on, is you can make a positive out of anything. You know, if he's a third goalie in Belleville and only plays a handful of games while well, he's developing and he's working on his, his, you know, his technique and his skills and he's getting to watch some really good guys do it in front of him and Joey Decord and, uh, you know, Gustafson or Hogberg or whoever ends up there. Uh, and if he goes back to the queue, he's in a comfortable setting where he knows he can dominate. Um, and so there's, you know, there's lots of options, uh, but I do think it's important for him to keep, keep working. And uh, if he can get some game action, I think that'd be beneficial. But that's just a, a personal experience. And there's ECHL teams that are playing, uh, you know, currently he can be reassigned to any ECHL team. So maybe that's an option as well. And obviously we know that some guys have been sent over to Europe too. So, you know, I, I, I'd wager that they're going to do the best thing for them because they, they, the centers have, have done a lot to develop their young talent and they don't turn any stone. So that's one thing I know for sure, wherever he ends up, it's going to be something that's going to be really good for him and he'll be ready to go when it's time. Spiros, thank you for coming on today. I've just got a couple more questions here before I let you go. Uh, a friend, friend of the show, Sends Prospects, uh, who's on every social media platform as Sends Prospects, really a great source for everything uh, in terms of players within the Senators' systems. He manages to keep tabs on everybody somehow. Uh, for, for those of you listening who aren't familiar with him, he's been on the show a few times. He's fantastic. Definitely go check him out. Uh, he asked me personally to get your thoughts on TJ Melanson, uh, the big defenseman. Uh, he said uh, that he saw him at the Sens dev camp a few years ago and he looked good, thought he looked good, but obviously he hasn't really been heard from since in terms of the Senators system. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the player? Yeah. I mean, I love TJ for, I mean, a lot of different reasons other than just his playing uh, style. Like he's, he's a great, great uh, human being, great teammate, great kid. Uh, I coached against him. So I know he, he was with development camp a number of years ago uh, with Belleville. And I think he played a couple games and then he was in, rookie tournament and development camp with Belleville this past season before joining us. But I coached against him when I was in South Carolina, I coached against him when he was in Norfolk. And then, uh, I mean, Norfolk was, had a very poor season that year, but I thought, I thought TJ was just such a defensive liability. I was like, man, I am never going to have that kid on my team. And it's funny. Cause when you say stuff like that, it's, it always comes around coming yeah. back. I get the job uh, with the Brampton beast. And there's one player signed when I got the job, when I was announced on July 10th or one player on contract. Uh, and that was TJ Melanson. And I'm like, oh, and, you know, I, I go to Duncan Del Mayo, our assistant coach. And I'm like, we got a project on our hands with this kid. Like, and now I knew his offensive ability, um, but I'll tell you what, it, different setting, maybe different coaching, different development path. He had a fantastic year in uh, 1920. He faced a little bit of an injury. We put him out for a little while, but he was our all-star. Uh, you know, he was our all-star representative. He was, he's one of the best power play specialists in the league. Um, super just excited, loves the game. He's playing in Slovakia currently uh, for HK Zvolen, or, or I don't know how to pronounce it, but out there and he's, he's doing pretty well. Um, you know what, a guy like him, he is a, a power play specialist and a guy that's an offensive threat. And a lot of times those guys, they just don't get the break or it takes a little longer for them to get the break because, you know, when they get called up, they have to play that role, right? Where a lot of times, you know, we had Chris Martinet called up to, to Belleville from our, our team just off of PTO. And, you know, he, he played when he got, when he played for Belleville, he played, you know, a number six role, big shutdown guy, 
you know, good stick and very simple. Well, TJ is more than that, right? He's dynamic. He jumps up in the rush. He'll, he'll throw a spinorama in the neutral zone. Um, he'll take guys on one-on-one and he'll, he'll, you know, quarterback the power play. And it's as great as that sounds, it's difficult for those guys to get an opportunity because typically when you're in a pinch and you need a guy, you just need a guy to be as safe as possible. So while I feel for him, he's, he's carving out a good career for himself. He's making some decent money out in Slovakia. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy that can come back and be a full-time AHLer eventually, but he's just got to prove himself to someone that's willing to give him uh, that opportunity to be that dynamic defenseman, not just a guy that's called up just to be safe for a night. Because when that's happened for him, I don't think it's worked out because he's, he's then he's out of his element and he's not playing his game. But uh, super, super guy, super player as well. Sends prospects will thank you for the tip about Slovakia because yeah. no matter where he is, he'll track him down and he'll find video of him. Great. Uh, I, I love the way you spoke to, spoke to a player that uh, fans may not be familiar with. If you had, you know, Senators fans are insane. You know, God love them. They they know everything about all their prospects and they get irrationally excited about so many of them. Who are some players in the ECHL that Sens fans may not be as familiar with, but you're looking at them going, like this this kid could be a player for them? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots. Like there, it's, it's crazy because some of the guys that you don't, you know, you don't even expect just kind of blow up at times. But uh you know, we had a guy, and I know he, some Senators fans may be uh, familiar with him because he played a, a number of games with Belva this year, but we had, you know, Nathan Todd on our team. And, you know, I, I again, he gets called up and he plays, you know, four or five minutes a game and he's in a fourth line role. And he played a number of games with, with Belleville and he actually played with Manitoba as well. And he scored one goal this year when he was with Manitoba against Belleville, funny enough. But, uh, you know, but he's a guy that's just a pure scorer, a really good centerman, can play the wing, can kill penalties has a hard shot, you know, off the flank on the power play. Um, but it takes a guy like him a little bit of time. And he actually played, I think, six or seven games uh, when he came out of the OHL for Binghamton back when they were the center's affiliate. So there's a, there's a slight connection to him. But he's one of those guys that you, you kind of see pops up here and there. And, you know, I have a lot of confidence that if he gets a full AHL season under his belt, he's a guy that, that could make it and, and could, you know, make a lot of noise. Um, you know, there was – there was a, a ton of guys, you know, when I coached in, in South Carolina, there was a guy, Grant Bessie, who was just an extreme talent. Now he's over in Germany, uh, making a good career for himself there. But, you know, he had a handful of AHL games under his belt. And again, a lot of times it's just an opportunity being in the right place at the right time. Um, but there's some really good players in our league. Going back even a couple more leagues, there's or years, there was Justin Danforth. It was before I even got in the ECHL. This is a guy that came out, I think, out of Sacred Heart, um, or maybe it was Holy Cross, one of those schools. Uh, so a lower end school, not like a power five school, uh, you know, went to Cincinnati, tore it up. And now he's one of the leading scorers. And I believe in the KHL, he was a leading scorer in, in the Finnish league. Now he's leading scorer in the KHL. So I can definitely see a guy like him coming back over and, and making it, you know, to the AHL and maybe the NHL, um, you know, and, and it's, and that's why these guys play. That's why our league exists. Right. And, and that's why there is a misconception. Like these guys aren't done. Like they have goals. They have, you know, things they want to do and, and will they make it to the mountaintop? Maybe not, but you know, they're exceptional players that for one reason or another have to kind of simmer a little bit in our league and uh, maybe take a different path. But um, there's a lot of players out there that I think are, are, are fantastic. So to, to pinpoint one guy right now is hard, but, you know, keep an eye on Nathan Todd, you know, he's got a connection to the Ottawa centers. Um, you know, he's been in, in their training camps He's played a few games for their affiliates. He, he played a number of games with Manitoba last year, and he signed a two-way deal with Manitoba this offseason. So if we had played, we still held on to his rights, so he would have split time between us and Manitoba. But let's see what happens this season. But he's a guy to keep an eye on. I have a lot of faith in him. He's, he's a good, solid player. Spiros Anastas, head coach of the Brampton Beast. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on, sir. Like I said, I know this has probably been an insane time of year for you. So I really do appreciate you making the time to uh, to speak to me and obviously to the Sens fans at large. So thank you very much. No, well, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I look forward to following Ottawa this year and Belleville. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we're right back to it, uh, developing players and, and, and being part of the mix for their development plan uh, real shortly here. I agree. I can't wait to have you guys back in the mix. Uh, did you have any social medias or anything that you wanted to plug? Uh, I mean, I'm not, I do a lot of retweeting. I don't, <laughs> uh, and then anything I tweet personally is just about 
my kids or anything like that. So, uh, but I am on, on Twitter and, and uh, Instagram and LinkedIn and everything, but yeah, there's not many Spiros Anastases in, in, <laughs> in hockey. So, uh, you know, it's just Spiros underscore Anastas and I'm sure I'll pop up, but uh, it's not really exciting. It's just a lot of retweeting of, you know, uh, Ottawa Senators stuff and, uh, you know, other sports stuff that I, I take an interest to, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm out there. So anyone can find me. Fair enough. We'll give you a tag and we'll share the people and I'm sure the people will follow. Thank you again for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you to Spiros Anastas, head coach of the Brampton Beast, for what was an amazing interview. Gave you fine listeners some fantastic insight on the state of his franchise, as well as some of the key prospects within the Ottawa Senators system. Before we end the show today, we are going to go to another fan segment. You know him, you know him well. It is Mr. Steve on Sends from Twitter.com, and he is going to tell you and me about his favorite Ottawa Senators moments. Okay, joining me for this week's fan segment, you know him, you know him well. It is Steve on Sens. How are you, sir? Thank you for being on. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm surviving, man. One day at a time, <laughs> as everybody else is. So, Steve, like we were talking about before, uh, and as we've done a few times on the show now, uh, basically what I want to do is hear your favorite Ottawa Senators memory. It can be connected to anything, a piece of memorabilia, a game you went to. What's one of those moments that reminds you why you're a fan? And I'll let you take it from there. Um, if you don't mind, I might actually like do a little bit of a, a curve here um, and throw it back to uh, some bad vibes to start. I'll, I'll end with some better vibes, but um, <laughs> I feel like this game doesn't get talked about uh, a whole lot, mostly because it's, it's terrible. Um, and like this is almost before my time, but I was actually at this game. I was six years old, uh, February 2004, against the Leafs, which was the flu game. Um, I don't know if you would remember uh, this because we're about the same age range. Yeah. Um, but, like, Ottawa-Toronto, I guess, hide a battle of Ontario, and Ottawa jumps out to a 4 nothing lead, like, really early in the game. I think Alfredson scored, like, 20 seconds in, something like that. And uh, But then uh, Hosa ends up getting... It was a high stick. There was blood everywhere on the ice. And then the entire team got the flu. Um, players were, like, leaving the bench constantly. Um, and then the Leafs came back and won the game 5-4. to um, Sens had, like, seven skaters left on the bench. Um, so, yeah, that was, that, that's, uh, that was a game that I, I, I have memories of being there, um, which is kind of weird considering, you know, I was pretty young at the time. But... Um, that's like a weird like LCD sound system losing my edge. Like I was there uh, <laughs> at the flu game in 2004. Um, so that's one that we will start off bad. And then we'll, I guess we'll, we'll go from there and, and get some better vibes. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a weird game to be at. Um, probably one of my best sense memories, I would say. Um, and there's a lot during the 2015 hamburger run. Um, you could go with the, the Mark Stone again game against Pittsburgh. Um, go with a lot of games. Um, but one that kind of stands out for me uh, is uh, the Sens Bruins, uh, March 19, 2015. Um, Sens and Bruins were, were battling for that last playoff spot. Um, Bruins ended up putting out selling playoff tickets before uh, they actually clinched a spot, which is kind of fun. That well, yeah. Um, but March 2015, so I was, um, and then there's, there's some like personal sentiment that goes along with this. Um, so I was in grade 12 at the time and, um, like every year at my high school, um, the grads, like a bunch of people would go to, to Mont Tremblant for like a, this ski vacation kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, since Bruins, like one of my best friends is, is a hardcore Bruins fan. And so we were all vaguely the age of consumption in Quebec and so this, we all like packed into a bar uh sharing pictures for like the first time watching hockey so it was like the, at the time like the coolest thing ever drinking beer and watching hockey wow um and uh the bar was was a lot of sense fans there because you know March break pretty close to Ottawa and that game was just just wild 
I don't know if, if you remember too closely, but like right I off the bat, know. right off the bat, you have tourists scoring 19 seconds into the game. They're also wearing the heritage jerseys, so that makes it that yeah. much more fun. Yeah. Looking great. Um, and it was just constant back and forth hockey. Like it was just such a fun game. You have McCulloch scoring his 200th goal. Um, you get uh, Leguan scoring from Eric Condra and then having this weird like grinning celebration where he just kind of looks at the rest of the team. Um, Ryan Spooner scored, uh, which seemed to happen all the time against Ottawa uh, during those years. And then Pajo scored like 15 seconds after that. And it ended with uh, Stone passing to Turris for empty netter. And like that was just like, probably like some of the most fun I've had watching hockey, I think up until that point, um, just surrounded with friends and uh, like, like that was just a phenomenal hockey game. Yeah. The 2015 Hamburglar run. That's, that's cool because I think that is high on everyone's list of best senators moments, but it's not one we've heard about on the show yet when asking, uh, when asking fans about it, you know, it's kind of revolved around that 2017 run and everything. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, the Hamburglar run, it, it was obviously this magical time, uh, but it ended kind of abruptly with that loss to the Canadians in the first round. Why do you think the Hamburglar run endures more than, say, you know, 2007 or any of those other teams that maybe had more playoff success? Um, I think just because of how um, ridiculous it was the Suns were able to come back, like uh, that team after McLean got fired, it just seemed so flat. Like it, they had missed the playoffs the year prior. Um, and it didn't really seem like there was a whole lot going on. Spezza had just left. And all of a sudden, you know, after Leonard goes down, um, this Goldie, who I remember seeing highlights on Twitter of his previous game in uh, Binghamton, he had led in like three goals in the first, like, I don't know what it was, three, four minutes. I was like, all right, like this season's a wash. Um, you know, maybe we'll get McDavid or Eichel. Um, but they just completely turned it around. And uh, there were so many highs and lows. Like I remember there, like Hammond got injured that one game and Chris Drieger had to come in. Um, and it, it was, there was, it just, they battled so much adversity. So um, that's definitely like a, just an incredible uh, time as a Suns fan to look back on for sure. Does the playoff, uh, the way it ended in the playoff, does that dampen it all for you? Um, or is it one of those things that you're always going to be proud of regardless? Like for me personally, looking back on that time, it was so much fun to be a Sense fan. Um, and those moments have kind of been few and far between in the last decade. You know, I'm sure you know, like 2017 was a fun time to be a Sense fan. 2015, the Hamburglar run was a fun time. Uh, you know, like, does does the playoff thing kind of ruin it all for you? Just to give people perspective who, you know, either don't remember that run or who weren't fans during that run. Um, it definitely doesn't ruin it all, for sure. Um, I think it, there's a bit of a damper on it, especially considering how much bragging rights the Sens had after the 2013 playoff series against the Habs. Um, but I don't think it ruins it at all. Um, I think that's kind of what, like, well, that's why we're all watching sports, right? Like, it's easy to say, you know, it would have been nice if they had just lost the rest of the year, trade some players away. Maybe you get, you know, a top five pick. Um, but at the same time, like, it, like, that's not why we're watching sports, I think. Like, we watch for those crazy moments. You watch for those Mark Stone again moments. Um, so I, it definitely doesn't ruin it at all. And like, I made the point, I think, on Twitter the other day, um, you know, maybe they get McDavid or Eichel, but also maybe they're picking fifth and we get Hannafin or something like that and you don't get Shabbat like so it's it's easy to to you know wish this things may have turned out better um but um when you look back on it that that was just such a, a great um you know few months to be a Sens fan yeah I think that's a great way of putting it Steve man really appreciate you coming on today uh, where can the people find you? I'm sure everyone who listens to this follows you anyway, but for those who don't, uh, why don't you plug your socials? Um, my Twitter, uh, at Steve on Sends. Uh, I'm kind of working on uh, a new project, um, although school is kind of busy right now, but I'm trying to um, basically create a Sends wiki um, just so um, you look back and like have laughs about the various you know quotes, um, hilarious moments, because I think there's just been so much... Uh, crazy stuff that's happened to this team over the past decade that I think we should 
kind of make a um, a log of everything that's happened. So I'm I'm slowly trying to you know work away at building that. Um, I don't remember much HTML skills, but uh, hopefully that'll be ready to go soon. And I, I would love that just personally. I think that would be lots of fun. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, really appreciate you sharing your best memories and we'll chat again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Folks, that is going to do it for episode 44 of Internal Budget. Thank you to both Spiros Anastas and Steve Onsens for joining the show today. It was a lot of fun, and I am really, really hoping that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, all that fun stuff, little things, but they go a long way, and they are really appreciated, especially during these dark days of COVID winter. Episode 45 is going to be coming at you next week. Until then, please make Make sure you stay healthy and stay safe, and we will see you then. Take care, y'all.